you so much, Patrick and company. Uh, grateful, so grateful for the people who lead us in, um, in, in singing here as we get together in this kind of worship here. Well, welcome to part two of a series we're calling Relationship Goals. Uh, glad to have you here. And uh, we started this last week and kicked off with an, a nice little start to it, I, I, I think, for those who were here. I hope that was helpful for you. And here's the, the premise behind this, okay? In, in uh, the New Testament, when Jesus was asked the question, um, what is the greatest commandment? He answered not only with one answer, but two. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Then he kind of said, he added a second one. He said, and the second is like unto it. You shall also love your neighbor as yourself. I don't know if he said you shall, because that's kind of King James, but whatever, you know what I'm saying. He said, love your neighbor as yourself. He volunteered that as the second uh, part of the, the great commandment. He kind of put the two of them together. So in church life, in church world, a lot of times we talk about how to love God, but we also need to talk about how to love others, how to have relationships with each other that actually are helpful and healthy. And here's what we said last week as we kicked off this series, that the first, impression, first impressions of God are often formed by first impressions of people who claim to know him. In other words, when people around us who don't know who God is meet you and me, they come to know God through our relationship primarily. In other words, if I say that God is a God of love, but I don't actually show love to them, then there is no such thing as a God of love, right? If I say God is a God who is forgiving, but I don't forgive, then no, there isn't a God who forgives, right? If there's a God of grace, but I don't show grace, no, I don't think there is a God who shows grace, because you don't show grace. So the way that I relate to people has a direct impression on how they relate to God, right? And so basically in this series, I just want us to get better at relationships, because it seemed to really matter to Jesus. And so that's, that's it. It's as simple as that. I just want us to look at it and say, how can I equip my myself to handle relating to one another well and loving each other well, because how people relate to me is how ultimately they are going to relate to the God if I claim to serve him and know him. So that's kind of the skinny, all right? So fair enough? All right, you've never said no, not fair enough, like start over. So I'm going to keep rolling with that. So a few years ago, to kind of kick off where we're going with this, a few years ago, I had jury duty in Lancaster. Anyone ever been on jury duty? All right, we have some jurors out there. So if you, um, Lancaster jury duty people too, yeah? Yeah? Okay. So if you know the drill, if you've been on Lancaster jury duty, you go in, there's, you know, 20, 30 people in the room, the, the broad pool of people, and then they move you through a selection process, which you don't want to be selected for, by the way. But anyway, and they move you through this process. So in the larger group of 20 or 30, uh, I... I brought a book to read because I knew that it would take some time and you can't use electronics in there. So I actually brought like a real physical book with paper, okay? Because I'm like, let me, let me spend the time here. But I was too intrigued by watching what was happening around me because there's all these people that, and here's a, the funny thing, they don't know each other. This is a true, this isn't even going to the mall kind of thing or going somewhere else like where you might run into somebody or know somebody, even like going out of town, going to the cabin or wherever else, or the beach or wherever you might go. Every now and then you run into somebody who knows somebody. This is a truly, meant to be, truly a random selection of people. So in truth, no one in the room knew each other, and that was strange. It was strange. So I was very intrigued more interesting than reading my book, truthfully. And so after a few minutes, here's what happened. The people who had like interests just found each other. It was really funny. And so I, I'm sitting there, kind of halfway reading my book, halfway not, and the reason I noticed it is because the people who all shared um, <laughs> this in common found each other in a hurry. These are people who, three ladies, who only had an outside voice. 
right? You know anyone like that, okay? And so they just drew the attention of the room. They're over there in the corner talking about things, and we're like, the rest of us are just over here, like, what's going on? So they weren't trying to be loud, but that's just what it was. So they found each other. And so it was very distracting for me, and you could also hear everything they were saying because they only have an outside voice. And here was the interesting thing. Like, they all started talking. We had, we had like, in a minute, a, a high school reunion kind of thing. We went back to, like, the 80s and maybe early 90s, and like, oh, that, that, Metallica, that Metallica song, do you like it? And Def Leppard, you know, and we're, like, hitting all this stuff. And I'm like, this is really interesting. And then they all had tattoos, right? And they were all talking about when to get a smoke break. Like, that just the way, it's funny. It's just funny, just the way that it worked. And they were talking really loud, and they, they all were like, hey, we're going to sneak out here, I'm going to sneak out there, and then you cover the door, and, I, and they were just being funny, but they they're having a good time enjoying reminiscing and all the things that they shared. Random strangers found each other, and then we all kind of got to know them too that way. It's interesting because, because, and here's the principle, common ground is a starting point of good relationships, right? Common ground is a starting point of good relationships. As soon as we start talking, these ladies in the corner, as soon as they start talking about the music they enjoy, or that they enjoyed getting tattoos and they enjoyed showing that to them, right? Or their hobbies, some of the things that they ended up doing are actually the same. I heard them say, man, we go down to the shore. You go there too, we go there. Are you kidding me? Oh. I'm sitting there trying to read my book. Like, I'm not reading my book. I'm just looking at pages, listening to you. And it's interesting, right? It's interesting that common ground is the starting point of good relationships. So when it came time for lunch break, well, guess who went to lunch together? Like, those ladies all went to lunch together. They just got to know each other. Isn't that true, though? Common ground is a starting point for good relationships. Many of you have experienced that. My dad, I know, experienced that when he went through his triple bypass uh, heart surgery. All of a sudden, he finds people in the room who have had heart surgery, and he connects with them, right? Some of you going through cancer right now, you've experienced that, too. All of a sudden, you find people in the world who have gone through that, and you relate to them. Common ground is the starting point of good relationships. And here's why that's important. It's important because of this. The more common ground we share, the more common grace we extend, Right? The more common ground that we share, the more common grace we extend. Here's how this works. If you are graduating from high school and that person in your class was really annoying and all of a sudden they go to the same college as you and you both know nobody, all of a sudden you figure out a way to be friends. Why? You share common ground of being lost and unsure of what's happening and all of a sudden you give more common grace to them and all of a sudden the things that were annoying then and I could choose other friends now, I kind of have to, you know, okay, let's get along a little bit more, that the people who you can be impatient with, like I might be impatient with a driver who cuts me off, but if I look around and it's one of you that I know, I'm like, oh, I'll laugh it off. But if it's not you, I'll be like, what's wrong with this person, right? Because we share common ground. And the more common ground we share, the more common grace I'm going to extend, right? It just, that's just the way relationships work. And so here's why that's important is that everyone in the history of the world who has ever claimed to be a Christian shares at least, at least one very, very, very important piece of common ground together that very quickly we can forget and very quickly we can refuse to extend the common grace that should be extended because of the common ground that we share. And this morning, I want to look with you at a letter that Paul wrote, the Apostle Paul wrote to a church in Colossae. I want to come back to this very, very, very important piece of common ground that everybody, everybody, no matter your personality, no matter your economic status, no matter what part of the world you live in, your ethnic background, your 
anything. If you've ever claimed to be a Christian, then we share this. And by the way, if you're sitting here this morning or listening later and you don't claim to be a Christian, let me tell you, you are welcome here, okay? And our hope, our cards on the table, is that you come to know and experience the kind of common grace and common ground that I'm going to talk about this morning. While you're still processing it, let me tell you, you are welcome and we love having you here. You sharpen us and make us better, and we're grateful for the relationships that we can share. So, with that being said, I'd like to invite you to turn to the little letter to Colossians, kind of in the right two-thirds of your Bible, uh, that Paul wrote uh, to this church. Colossians chapter 3 is where we are going to land, and we're just going to look at one verse here this morning. And by the way, if you don't own a Bible, that Bible in the pew around you is our gift to you. We'd love for you to have that and take that home with you. Um, We believe in the Scriptures and the Bible. We believe in what we call the, the authority of the Bible, that we can look at this and actually see God's word, God's word to us. And so we're looking at a letter that Paul wrote to this church in Colossae, and here we go in chapter 3, verse 13. I'm just going to read the verse and then make a few comments on it. All right, Colossians three thirteen. In the NIV, New International Version, here's what that says. It says, bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Short little verse, but a powerful little one, very powerful. Let's look at the beginning of this verse, if you will, with me. Paul begins, and he says, bear with each other. I just need to be straight up with you that this, that this word means to endure the difficulty of being with somebody. If you have in-laws, you know what I mean. Just kidding, because my in-laws are somewhere in this room, all right? <laughs> Uh, so I, I, I live near them, so I don't necessarily feel that. But it's interesting, isn't it, that Paul begins in a sentence about relationships, and he says, you're going to have to bear with the difficulty of being with people. He's just, he doesn't sugarcoat that. He said, it is going to be hard. People will annoy you. Their habits and tendencies will frustrate you. And you're going to have to bear with each other. That's what that word means. He's just straight up with it. Bear with This is going to be something that we should expect. We will fight with each other. We will disagree, sometimes vehemently, with each other. We won't get on each other's nerves. We will also end up doing things that are more harmful and hurtful to each other. We will end up backbiting. We will end up gossiping. We will end up divorcing each other. We will end up speaking ill on social media of each other. We will end up in relationships that leave us with marks of pain, and they're not all the same. Wait. The annoyance of being cut off in traffic is not nearly the same weight as the weight of divorce that some of you bear. But here's what Paul says, bear the weight of the difficulties of living among people. And we know this is true because we know it's hard enough to live with ourselves, right? We know that as we look in the mirror in our own right, that we're not even keeping our own standards and we're not even totally happy with who we are. Can you imagine what other people would feel like? And this is where Paul begins. He said, just expect there to be a weight to this. This isn't fear-mongering or like super negative. It just is reality. Like, bear with each other. There's going to be a weight to a relationship. If you want to walk into it, know that is coming. And I, don't want to, I want to be careful this morning because I want to get after something significant for you. I want to be careful not to diminish the weight. Some of you are carrying a weight that is deeper than others. 
All right, some of you have a weight of relationship with a mom or a dad that is significant, deep, and hard. Some of you have a relationship with a child that is very difficult, very complex, very nuanced, and is weighty, right? And some of us don't have that. Some of us are like, oh, I don't know what's, I can't think of the last person who's annoyed me. Like, everything's great. And your burden is kind of light. But here's where Paul begins. We're going to have weights. Bear with each other. And the heavier the weight, the harder it is to do the next thing that he suggests. And here's what he says, bear with each other and forgive, and forgive. Now the question is, what in the world does that mean? What does it mean to forgive? And this is a good question and a hard one, and basically I want to put it this way, and I'm grateful for the Peacemakers material. We've covered that some parts in church before, but here's what the Peacemakers International says on forgiveness, and here's why I appreciate it so much. It's very helpful and clear to me. Here's what we mean when we talk about forgiveness. I'm not going to talk about it, think about it, or let it stand in the way of our relationship. I'm not, it's simple. If I'm going to forgive you and you're going to forgive me, I need to be able to say, if I'm going to use that word around the feelings that I have toward you and you've offended me or I've offended you, if you've offended me and I'm saying, you know what, I'm choosing to forgive you, what that means to you and what it should mean to me I'm no longer, no longer free to talk about this to anybody. Nobody. I'm done talking. It's not on social media. I'm not texting. I'm not talking to my mom about it, my wife about it, my husband about it, my friends about it. No, no, no. No more talking about it. The offense is in the past. I've chosen to forgive. I'm putting a marker down. No more talking about it. The, the second one is harder. I'm not thinking about this thing anymore. I'm not going to bed anymore. And in, on my pillow at night reminiscing and remembering, here's, here's what happens to me, see if you can relate. I remind myself why I'm justified in my rightness and why you are wrong, right? You ever been there? That I think about it and I reinforce my positions. I might have an argument with you about why I'm right and why you're wrong, and of course I'm going to win because you're not there to defend yourself. And here's the choice of forgiveness. I'm not going to think about it anymore. I'm done. I'm done thinking about it. And when I see you, I'm not going to let it stand in the way of our relationship. So when I see you, I'm going to remember I've forgiven you. And there's a beauty and a depth to that. And if I can't see you without seeing that thing that stands in the way of us, then I don't know that I've fully processed forgiveness yet. That's not getting better. Now, the weightier that is, the harder that is. But if I'm not moving that way where I can never see myself having coffee with you, or engaging you in a good conversation. I'm going to have to ask myself, am I really in the forgiveness world? So here's what it says. Bear with each other. We're going to annoy each other. It's going to be heavy. We're going to offend. It's going to be difficult. And forgive. Forgive. One another. Here's what he says. And forgive. Next phrase. Whatever grievances. Whatever grievances you may have against one another. Look at that. <laughs> He doesn't say, if you look at this word for word, he doesn't say, forgive the grievances that you are ready to forgive. He says, whatever. Well, should I forgive this one? I don't know. Is it in the category of whatever? Well, should I forgive that? Is it in the category of whatever? Well, listen, this one is really hard, and this one is really personal, and this one was, they knew that thing would bother me, and they did it anyway. I don't know. Is it in the category of whatever? So we just, it's kind of annoying that it's written that way. Like, forgive whatever. If it's in that category, then Christians have to say, man, that's in the category of 
Forgiveness, whatever grievances, that's personal, by the way. This is a personal offense. This isn't, uh, just to be clear on this one, I need to say what this is not. If you're an employee and you work for somebody and you're showing up late to work all week this week because you're just tired and you feel like sleeping in, and your employer goes to church here and you know it, you can't walk in at 10 o'clock and you're supposed to be there today and say, you've got to forgive. This is in the whatever. I know I offended you. No, that's laziness. All right, that's not a grievance at a personal level. So let me be clear. We're talking about personal grievances, things at a personal level, not at a work level or business level, that kind of thing. We're talking about personal grievances, things that get in the way and things that we will end up feeling an emotional reaction to. Like, I've got to process that somewhere. Forgive whatever grievances you have with each other that you may have against one another. And then he makes this statement, this last statement at the very end. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And that, right there, is the common ground that I was talking about at the beginning. That right there is the common ground that every person who has ever claimed to be a Christian shares in common with one another. That we have been forgiven. I have been forgiven. The Lord has forgiven me deeply for what I've done and who I am. And this is the common ground. Now, here's the problem with this. There was one of Jesus' followers named Peter was tracking with Jesus' teaching. This is not the first time that this teaching is in the New Testament. And Jesus taught about forgiveness. And Peter, who was very forward with uh, his thoughts, he one time said to Jesus, Jesus, I have a... (laughs) A question about the forgiveness thing. Can you hold on? How many times should we forgive the people who have offended us? Up to seven times? Now think about that for a minute. Can you imagine forgiving somebody for the same offense seven times in a row? That, that's a lot to do. Now the teaching in the day, the rabbis in the day said, forgive them three times. And then you can do whatever you want, but forgive him three times. And Peter was like, hey, I have a question. Like, I don't know, three is the going you know, uh, rate for forgiveness these days. And I don't know, Jesus seems to be more than the going rate, so should we do seven? You know, should I? Seven times, because, you know, that seems like a lot. And I don't know, seven is like a perfect number in the Bible. Maybe we should do seven. And what Jesus said to him was very, very intriguing. He said not seven times, but 77, or some translations say 70 times seven. In other words, no, Peter, you're actually not even close. In my world, in my kingdom, in Jesus' world, in Jesus' kingdom, we're no longer keeping track of how many times we forgive each other. We're no longer keeping track. I know, Rabbi, say three, and I know you've been offended, but listen, love keeps no record of wrongs. So we're not keeping track anymore. And then Jesus went on to drive this home by sharing a story. And he said that there was a king who decided to keep record of his accounts and call into account the people who owed him money. And the king called in this, this one man who owed him what in our world now in 2017 is millions, millions of dollars. This is an incredibly high debt that this man had to pay. The king said, you've got to pay this back. It's time to reconcile my debts. And the servant said, man, I, this man said, I, I don't have it. There's, there's no way. Will you, will you help me? I, the king had compassion, had pity on this man, and said, your debt is forgiven. Go ahead. 
go free. And so this man walks free, and he was, Jesus tells the story, he walks into someone who then owed him money. And the man who was just forgiven millions walks into a man who actually owed him what's in our world now about a couple thousand dollars, maybe ten, fifteen thousand dollars $15,000, a decent amount of money, decent amount of money to be owed ten or fifteen grand, an offense that needs to be dealt with. And the man said to this, the man who had just been forgiven millions, said to this man who had been forgiven ten or fifteen thousand, uh, he, he said, Time to pay up. And the man said, I can't. And so this man who had been forgiven millions had this guy who owed him 10 grand thrown in prison. And then people saw this and they complained back to the king. They said, I just want you to know what happened. This man who'd just been forgiven much went and held this man to account. To which the king calls the guy back in and he says, what were you thinking? Did you not remember that you had just been forgiven millions? I'm going to hold you until you pay back and send him to the jailers to be held. Some would suggest that torture was involved, whatever. That's not the point of the story. But the king is angry that the person who had been forgiven much would be unwilling to forgive even a little in light of all that they had been forgiven. And Jesus makes a difficult point. And he gives us a window into what can displease our Heavenly Father, what can displease God. And that is people who refuse to see how much that they have been forgiven and hold the grievances of other people against them, failing to remember the common ground that has been shared. It's a sobering reality and a sobering story. I was listening to a TED Talk recently by a guy named Sammy Rangel. He gave it in Budapest, Hungary in May of 2015. Some of you may or may not have seen Sammy's story. Sammy's story is profound and difficult to watch and listen to. And I'm not going to be able to repeat all of it here to you because of the significance and the details of what he shared. But Sammy learned when he was about 41 years old that his mom had killed his 19-month-old brother before Sammy was born by beating him in her anger with a Tonka truck. She was never held into account for that. And as he was born then into this family and grew up in this highly, highly abusive family, emotionally, physically, and sexually, he was raped by his uncle, as was his sister. And then instead of reporting that, his mom forced him to continue to show affection to his uncle. For years and years and years and years and years, the abuse piled on. He had scars on his head, not from being in the gang that he would later be in, but because his mom would beat him to the point where his head was bleeding and hair was coming out. Deep, deep trouble that Sammy went into. Over time, his soul hardened and his heart hardened to any kind of empathy and compassion, as you can imagine. He did get involved in all that you would expect, to the gang culture. And he was still dealing in his own young adult life with the question of whether he wanted to kill somebody or not. I don't know how many of you 20-somethings ever think about that. Sammy did. He was so angry with his life. And he finally came to the point where he said, he dealt with his mom one more time on an issue, and he finally said, you know what, I don't care about life anymore, and he was ready to kill. Sammy ended up going to prison for years. 
And he started and was participating in a uh, riot in the prison, black and white fight in the prison, where one of his uh, friends was shot and killed by a guard who was trying to bring it under control. Sammy ended up getting uh, great uh, credibility from being, uh, you know, this kind of uh, presence in the prison. He gained a lot of credibility among the gangs for his toughness and what he was willing to, to, you know, to handle. The problem was he created chaos everywhere he went. He was in one prison for seven years and spent five of them in solitary confinement. And as he came out of that prison and then was assigned to another one and then to another one and then to another one and to another one, on his, finally on his seventh prison he got there and the warden came out to meet the truck that was transporting him and they said, no, we're not going to take him here. And he asked the question in his TED Talk, where is a man supposed to go when even the prison system rejects him? When he finally was placed in a maximum security prison that did take him, he decided, I'm going to go through the hoops that I need to go through to get out of here early. And they offered him a counseling or rehab program. And he said, whatever. I'm not, whatever. Whatever I need to do to get out of here early. So, sure, I'll go to your little thing. So he goes into a room, and there's a counselor and other inmates there. And the counselor takes a chair around the chair and around the circle in which these inmates are sitting. He takes his chair, and he places it before Sammy. And he says to him, Sammy, imagine your mom is sitting in that chair. What do you want to say to her? He said, I don't, I don't, I don't want to do this. I don't, I don't care. And he pushed him and said, what do you want to say to your mom? She's sitting in this chair. And as you can imagine, finally he got his thoughts together and he, he said, how could you do this, mom? Why? And then the counselor pushed further and he, he said, Sammy, I want you to now sit in this chair. So he had Sammy sit in this chair and look back at where he was sitting. And he said, what does your mom say to you? All he could come up with was, sorry. I'm sorry. And then he had Sammy leave this chair and come back to his own chair and say, now, what do you think? What do you feel like now? To which Sammy said, I feel justified in my anger. Like, this doesn't relieve anything. I'm angry. And my position is right. And then the counselor asked this question. That Sammy said, this changed my world. He said, Sammy... Have you ever hurt somebody like your mom has hurt you? Sammy has ended up starting a foundation for forgiveness, redemption, and reconciliation. Because when you begin to see that you are just as bad as the person that you are angry at, everything changes. This is why Paul wrote, forgive as the Lord forgave you. For some of us here this morning, we are deeply angry under the surface. There have been people who have deeply, deeply hurt us who have taken the emotion and joy and life out of us. We're justified in our position. We're right. They were wrong. 
And I'm just telling you what Paul says to Christians. He says, bear with each other. And forgive whatever grievances you have against one another. And then, this killer phrase that comes from him, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Have you ever hurt somebody like they've hurt you? Have you ever thought things that they've thought toward you? Have you ever done the same things that they've done toward you? We share the common ground of forgiveness at the cross of Jesus Christ. The Lord has forgiven us. Can we not extend the forgiveness to the person who only owes us 10,000 when we've been forgiven millions? And so, the call comes down to us here this morning. Who do you need to forgive? Who do you need to forgive? Who do you need to forgive? What do you need to forgive? Can you imagine the freedom that would come to you if you could forgive your spouse or your ex or your mom or your dad or your kid or your roommate? Can you imagine the freedom that would come? And if you're fighting it, I I just want to say, yeah, good. You're engaging it. But if you're fighting it, I just want to invite you back to the amazing grace of the cross of Jesus Christ. Even people who haven't been in church for a while, or maybe who've never been in church before, know a song called Amazing Grace. Some of you know what comes next. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like you, me. Saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. So as we put on and as we put on kind of our gear and our equipment for relating well to one another, forgive, forgive, forgive. As the Lord forgave you, who do you need to talk to? Who do you need to forgive? That you can have freedom and they can have freedom. And that as people see you and they know about your God, that they can see this is a God of crazy forgiveness. Because I cannot believe that you were willing to forgive your mom. I can't believe you're willing to forgive your ex. I can't believe that you don't talk about it anymore. I can't believe it's not making you a bitter person. I can't believe it's not ruining you. I can't believe that you've done that. And it's not just because of you. It's because you know how much you have already been forgiven. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Will you pray with me? Our good God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for the scriptures. We thank you for the letter to the book of, to the church in Colossae that was saved for us that we could look at here this morning. I thank you for the reminders of the need to extend the same kind of amazing grace that was given to us to everyone whom we see, to be willing to bear the weight of the difficulty of relating to one another and just know that's going to be a part of our rhythm of life. And yet to take it a step further and be willing to forgive because the Lord has forgiven us. I pray that you would remind us of the common ground that we share at the cross 
of Jesus Christ. That we can extend an uncommon amount of grace. Amazing grace. That sweet, sweet sound saved us. Saved a wretch like me. So now, Father, as we prepare to sing that song in different versions of it, I pray that we can take this time now and maybe we sing along and maybe we allow you to to teach us in our heart. Maybe we allow you just to speak into our heart and mind and take an action step in our own minds and say, this is what I need to do next. But Father, I pray that this moment won't pass if there's work we need to do, if there's a relationship that we know we need to forgive, if there's someone whom we have allowed to kind of sit in this chair of our heart and mind and over and over and over defended why we're right and why they're wrong and told others the story of how we've been hurt and whatever, that you would give us the courage to do what we need to do today and not let this moment pass. I pray, Lord, that this would not be just a head knowledge or we get it mentally, but that this can result in a heart change, that we can be freed like Sammy was freed from prison ultimately to share his story with all of us. That we can be free from the prison of unforgiveness. Free from the prison of bitterness. Remind us, give us the courage, please, please, please. That we can extend amazing grace, even to those who have hurt us the most. We love you, Father. Thank you for this moment we can share now. In Jesus' name.